Hi, everybody. Welcome to your Friday. You're listening to Crooked News, where we bring you crazy news, hilarious history, and the occasional listener story. So send us your stories to talkcrooked at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Please send them <laughs> in. Um, Please. I really want to hear other people's stories. I love hearing stuff like that. Me too. Like, minisodes and stuff on other people's podcasts are my favorite when I get to hear, when you get to hear other people's shit, you know? (laughs) Oh, I love it. So, are you ready for me to ruin sushi for you? No! What? (laughs) Why would you do that? (laughs) Uh, Just, just raw sushi. No! That's my favorite kind! I'm upset. Continue. (laughs) This is from The Guardian in Japan. And this is by Justin McCurry in Tokyo. And it was posted uh, July 14th of 2020. Mm -hmm. Worm found in tonsil of Japanese woman with sore throat. That's disgusting. Near four centimeter long nematode roundworm is thought to have come from raw fish. Ah! And it was still alive when it was removed by the doctors. Well, yeah, it's a parasite. Mm-hmm. And gross. An unpleasant sensation at the back of the throat can be a sign that a cold is on the way. But for one Tokyo woman, the cause of the pain was not a sniffle, but a live worm that had lodged itself inside one of her tonsils. Ugh. I don't have any tonsils. Oh, good. I'm safe. <laughs> Doctors at St. Luke's International Hospital in the Japanese capital removed the long black worm with tweezers after the patient had com- <laughs> after the patient had complained of throat and irritation throat pain and irritation, according to a case study published in the American Journal of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. The worm, which was oh uh, 38 millimeters, which is 1.5 inches long and 1 That's millimeters so wide, mm-hmm, was, was still alive after being retrieved from the woman's left tonsil, the journal said, adding that her symptoms rapidly improved after the procedure. Yeah, because <laughs> she didn't have a worm in her throat yeah. anymore. <laughs> uh, uh. Um, Does it say the type of fish? It was a nematode roundworm, one of several parasites that can infect people who eat raw fish or meat. Uh, the 25-year-old patient confirmed that she'd eaten assorted sashimi five days before the worm was removed. Gross. <laughs> Don't go back to that place. Yeah, no. According to the, <laughs> <laughs> according to the journal, doctors said the worm was a four-stage larva of the worm, adding that the infection <laughs> had been caused by its younger incarnation as a third-stage larva that was present in her sashimi dish. Gross. The unfortunate diner. What kind of backs? What kind of backwoods sushi place are you eating at, honey? I don't no. know. Ugh. Gross. Um. <laughs> the unfortunate diner is not alone. The authors of the study said the number of reported cases had markedly increased worldwide due to the growing popularity of sushi and sashimi. Similar infections are sometimes caused by raw or undercooked meat. Two years ago, a 34-year-old Japanese man became infected by roundworm parasites after eating seared chicken sashimi. He made a full recovery. Ew, what? Yeah. Why would you ever eat raw chicken? I, what is the matter with you? I don't know. Chicken is poison. <laughs> 
I don't know. Seriously, chicken is poison until it's cooked. It is. And it, it, it poisons everything it touches. Yeah. No, no, no. That's on you. <laughs> you should know better. Yeah. <laughs> than to eat raw chicken. Yep. Oh, my God. Who's serving raw chicken? <laughs> I don't what know. Kind of chef is like, ooh, let's have raw chicken. <laughs> no, no, no. No, 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 no. That's the that's that's on you, dude. Yep. <laughs> that's seeing a shark and jumping in the water. Yep. And screaming, "Eat me, <laughs> dumbass!" I'm gonna victim blame on that one. On that one. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. I'm not, it's not ruined. I'm still gonna eat it. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Good. Because I miss eating sushi with you. I know. I miss sushi days. <laughs> So this is from Vice, uh, and it's by Gavin Butler, and it was published July 13th, 2020. Cops raid Melbourne party during lockdown after guests put in a 20-meal order with KFC. (laughs) Whoa! So that was clear. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Police issued 16 fines, totaling $26,000 to people caught breaching lockdown restrictions. Whoa. A group of... In Florida? Really? Melbourne. Melbourne. I don't know. I I guess it's... Australia? I don't know. I think it might be Florida. There's a Melbourne in Florida, but Melbourne, Australia is like a bigger deal no it's australia yeah it's australia yeah. okay i was gonna say florida is not taking that shit seriously yeah no. <laughs> i don't know about now when this is released but as of today <laughs> july 28th they are not taking that shit seriously no <clears throat> a group of party goers or they haven't been no. i don't know what's going on now i don't i, I can't watch the news anymore <laughs> i can't either a group, <laughs> a group of party goers were slapped with a twenty-six thousand dollar fine for breaching coronavirus stay-at-home restrictions in Melbourne last week. After police—that's how you enforce shit. Yep. After police tracked a bulk KFC order back to the gathering, a two-person <laughs> order for about twenty meals worth of fried chicken at one thirty a.m. on Friday raised suspicions among a group of ambulance workers who happened to be huh. visiting the store at the time. I wonder why. <laughs> they notified police who followed the car to a nearby townhouse and discovered a number of people hiding under beds in the garage and out in the backyard. Wow. They were hiding? Yeah. A total of 16 wow. fines for breaching coronavirus restrictions were issued at the party. That is absolutely ridiculous, that type of behavior. And it's a very expensive night, said Victorian Police Commissioner Shane Patton. <laughs> Not to mention it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that's a twenty that's twenty six thousand dollars that birthday party is costing them. That's a heck of a birthday party to recall and they'll remember that one for a long time. <laughs> oh my god, this cop is my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Right. Well, follow the rules. Y'all could have been in your own house eating your own KFC and been on Zoom. Yeah. The state of Victoria, which is struggling to contain a devastating second wave of COVID-19, posted a record 288 new cases on the same day. Stage 3 lockdown... Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Stage three lockdown. Stage three lockdown, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Stage three lockdown measures, which prohibit individuals from visiting other people's homes, unless it's for the purposes of giving or receiving care, came into effect just a day earlier. In the course of that 24-hour period, police conducted almost 1,000 spot checks on people at homes, businesses, and public places, according to Commissioner Patton. 60 infringement Mm. notices were issued to Melburnians, including those at the KFC party. (laughs) Wow. And then this last one is from Somerset in uh, England. It's a small village there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... This is from where the Weasleys live, I believe. Huh? I thought it was where the Weasleys lived. Probably. I don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So this is from somersetlive.co.uk. And it was written by Emma LG. And it was posted July 10th, 2020. Large group of naked youths was disturbing livestock on private land in Somerset, police say. A group of ten youths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a group of ten youths was disturbing livestock when running around on private land in Somerset. Further details have emerged about the unusual occurrence in the countryside in West Moncton near Ta- Taunton on Wednesday. Sure. <laughs> Police initially tweeted some details about the incident yesterday afternoon, saying officers were straight out the door after receiving the d- report. Now a, sp- <laughs> now a spokesman for Avon and Somerset Police has confirmed that around 10 naked teenagers had been seen running on private land disturbing livestock. What does Avon have to do with anything? I have no idea. Wh- <laughs> um, what? <laughs> police have now confirmed the incident happened at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesday, July 8th. The spokesman said officers attended and searched the area, speaking with residents and dog walkers, but were unable to locate the group. Police have asked anybody who sees anything suspicious in the area to call 101. Okay, <laughs> so that's their 911? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And that's that's my segment. <laughs> wow. I thought it was 999. Oh, well. Maybe that's the non-emergency line. Yeah. That's so crazy. Right? <laughs> They're just like running around in pastures naked? Yep. Fucking with cows? Not cool. No. Leave cows alone. <laughs> leave cows alone 2020. Yes. Hashtag leave cows alone. All right. We have impossible meat. There's no reason for us to fuck with cows. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Their farts are killing the ozone layer. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Um, wow, that was great. Nice work. Thanks. We're having kind of a food-related episode today, because uh, I got some food for you okay. coming up. All right. I'm, I'm excited. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some more food. Okay. And we're back. We are. All right, so I've got another Ranker article. This one should be fairly quick. Okay. But... I'm excited, because I love food, you love food, we all love food, right? Yes. And this is quite the food episode, so we did not plan this, by the way. No. (laughs) (coughs) We were both just really hungry when we made the notes. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Okay, so I found um, 
15 totally frivolous foods the French upper class ate while the peasants starved. Oh. You ready? Yeah. The French are notorious for being super extra, so I'm really excited about this one. Me too. Um, okay, so uh, this, is, of course, is from Ranker, Ranker.com. Um, this was written by Cetera Gianda, um, and it was published April of 2017. So, let's dive in. Okay, so, perhaps nothing was more decadent about aristocrats before the French Revolution than their over-the-top meals. <clears throat> The things French aristocrats ate even make modern Americans look like humble cuisine aesthetics. <laughs> That's <laughs> hard to do. I don't know that word. Yeah. Um, foods before the French Revolution were a dizzying array of savories and sweets. Have you seen the Marie Antoinette movie with uh, like Kirsten Dunst in it? No. Not praising that movie too much. It's a fun movie, mm-hmm. but... Like, there's just, like, piles of macaroons everywhere, and, like, just, like, oh, my God. Like, if you saw the spread that they have at, at breakfast, I mean, just oh, watch wow. it for the food. Like, I yeah. mean, it is, like, <laughs> food porn. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. So, oh, my God. Like, you watch it, and you're just like, oh, my God, how are you so skinny? <laughs> and they, they, they're, it's just sitting there for them to have if they want it, and they're just, like, nibbling. That's why they're so skinny. And then it gets thrown out. <laughs> yeah. So, foods were a dizzying array of sweet, savory and sweets. Aristocrats of the Ancien Régime, or Old Order, the elite French world before the Revolution, tended to have elaborate meals thanks to the fact that they could afford it. They could buy expensive ingredients and hire master chefs to create mouth-watering dishes. Mm. Indeed, if cuisine was a, mu- I mean, like we all know, like where the French stand as far as like <laughs> being elite yes. chefs. Yes. Um, indeed, <laughs> if if cuisine was a mark of social status, then food itself played a huge role in the French Revolution. In the years preceding revolution, grain prices and famine caused widespread resentment towards the seemingly decadent arist- aristocracy. I could see that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> When market women marched on Versailles in October 1789, they did so because they were angry that they could not afford bread to feed their families. So this is what's going on. Yeah. And then we're about to talk about how they were eating because this is insane. So there Marie Antoinette, the ill-fated French queen who would lose her head to the guillotine in 1793, may have never said let them eat cake. Her diet was nonetheless worlds apart from what ordinary French men and women ate. It was good to be the king or queen simply because they got to eat so very well. Yeah. But also, you know, like seven people had to watch you take a shit. So there's that. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, my gosh. Are you ready? Because this sounds mouthwatering. Yeah. Marie Antoinette <laughs> drank her hot chocolate with orange blossoms. Ooh. Chocolate and orange is a match made in heaven. It is. Okay. So... When Marie Antoinette, a young princess from Vienna, arrived at the French court, she didn't come alone. Um, In her retinue was none other than her personal chocolate chef. (laughs) What? That's amazing. 
Among the many concoctions he whipped up for the queen was chocolate with orange blossoms, which yielded a rich citrusy flavor. Oh my god, I have been craving a chocolate orange ever since I got pregnant, and I can't get one because of the stupid quarantine. Oh. And because of the diabetes. So, um, the gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, Marie Antoinette's love of chocolate was hardly unique amongst the ancient Asian regime. Men, women, and children in the 18th century had become wild about chocolate, and it was decidedly a treat reserved for the wealthy. Ooh. And now it's for everyone. Now it's a dollar. (laughs) If that. Yes. Yes. But we can be sure it did not taste the way it did then. Oh, my goodness. I've been dying to try hot, like mexican hot chocolate oh yes like the aztecs used to drink kind mm-hmm. of you know like with like spicy spicy hot chocolate yes i've never had it and i really want to try it so okay louis the 14th's court feasted on poached truffles let's be real oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about being super extra i don't mm-hmm. think it gets more extra than louis the 14th so no louis the 14th's palace of versailles was basically an aristocratic an aristocratic universe of ritual and decadence with louis firmly at the center like louis himself who took dinner alone in his chambers in a highly ritualized manner the courtiers of versailles ate well the food was just as over the top as their costumes and hairstyles especially since the aristocrats tried to one-up each other with Mm -hmm. their menus on the menu at the Marquis de Levoux's banquet in 1690, for example, were poached truffles. Truffles, which were a decadent, which are decadent, decadent and expensive even today, would have been a delicious treat for the Marquise's hyper-privileged guests. Interestingly, in the preceding centuries, aristocrats would not be caught dead eating truffles since they came from the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they had been considered peasant food. That's so funny, because they are, like, the most expensive thing, because yeah. you can't cultivate them, and you have to use, like, a special pig to hunt them yeah. in, the, in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're like morel mushrooms, Oh goodness, which are delicious. Yes, they are. Oh, my goodness, I can't are. wait to not be pregnant anymore. I miss food. Okay, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> oysters, Josh found, like, over 100 morel mushrooms this year, too, and I didn't get to eat any of them. Oh, it's fine it's fine okay oysters oysters were worth dying for so oysters continue to appear on modern tables but the aristocrats of pre-revolutionary france went wild for them getting oysters and other seafood to the and let's like imagine how they're eating them because they probably weren't steamed they were probably on the half shell Mm -hmm. and we're not going to discount the lack of sanitation that was happening right in the 1700s like let's just okay so um that's dangerous today Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they inspect all of them for bacteria (laughs) and they still come with a risk warning a risk label yeah so getting oysters and other seafood to the tables of the titled 
was no easy feat. Fishermen and sellers in Paris developed a system over time that got seafood to the Paris markets early in the morning so that it could reach the aristocrats later in the day. So they were super fresh. And of course, they didn't have like buckets of ice and shit like that, like they do now to like preserve them. They had to get there quick or they'd be ruined, you know? Yeah. So, um, beloved, were, so beloved were oysters amongst the French high society that ensuring one's employer had a ready supply of them was sometimes a stressful task. One chef, Francois Vettel, actually killed himself with his own sword after a delivery for a banquet failed to arrive on schedule. <laughs> Dramatic. Talk about being extra. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. I must die. I will kill myself. All right. <clears throat> Chicken cooked in lamb bladders was a fun elite treat. Oh. That sounds disgusting. No thanks. And weirdly upsetting. Okay. Um. <laughs> in the the 18th century saw an inc- an increase in the number of cookbooks that were published. These were not modern cookbooks, however. Often directions were vague and they did not use standard measurements. Of course not. Still, these cookbooks were a window into a whimsical world of cooking in the the 18th century, especially as cooks played to elite diners' appetites for novelty foods that would surprise their guests. So, because they're always, like, trying to one-up each other. Yeah. Um, One such dish was chicken and bagpipes. (laughs) essentially this dish involved chickens that were cooked in lamb bladders which the cook was supposed to blow up stop it get it so they blew it up yeah stop they inflated it yeah oh uh, mm -mm. yeah that's disgusting there's pee in there Uh, what are you doing all right of course, it's cooked, so I guess the bacteria dies, but that's still weird. Yeah. I can't imagine that flavor's great. Okay. No. Um, <clears throat> one royal mistress once dined on a bird's stomach. That's disgusting. Um, Madame de Pompadour was one of the most influential women of the 18th century. She was Louis XV's mistress, mm-hmm. and her power extended far beyond the royal bedchamber. Mm-hmm. As a patron of the arts, she often entertained and even employed her own chef. Wow. Somebody was well taken care of. Yeah. Um, um, I wouldn't be sleeping with any Louis in Paris if it was me mm-hmm. because of the syphilis. But you do you, honey. Um, <laughs> among the food prepared for Pompadour and her guests was, a, was, quote, stomachs of riverside birds and sand leek sauce. As unappetizing as that sounds, it's also an important lesson. <laughs> By the middle of the 18th century, elite French men and women often crafted their menus for the effect and shock value rather than for the food itself. Of course they did. I mean, that's good to know. That's the style over substance thing. Yeah. <laughs> that they talk about on British Bake Off. <laughs> um, okay. They pioneered champagne toasts on New Year's Eve. So this is this is where we get our champagne. Okay. Or champagne toast for New Year's. So, um, though all expensive wines were welcome at Versailles, one towered over the rest. Champagne. As it should. Yes. Following following techniques introduced by a monk. Oh, remember those champagne margaritas we used to make? I miss them. With the pink lemonade in them? Yes. Oh, my God. Ugh. So good, you guys. (laughs) So good. Um, Following techniques introduced by a monk, Dom Perignon, 
Um, in the ni- in the 17th century, champagne became a popular drink amongst the well-heeled. Don Perignon is still the most fun fact is still like the most elite champagne you can get. Oh, I bet. Um, to this day, so Louis the Fourteenth also notably loved champagne, as everyone does, because it's fucking delicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, love, love of champagne at Versailles would outlast the Sun King. Rumor has it that Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette rang in the New Year with champagne, thus starting a New Year's tradition that continues to this day. Aww, isn't that fun? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Now we're gonna hate her again. Oh, Marie right. Antoinette would only drink special spring water (laughs) drinking water in an age before i mean fair though yeah because drinking water in an age before mass purification could be a risky business yeah so it's no surprise that queen marie antoinette was persnickety about her water (laughs) the only water that did not make her ill was spring was from a spring at ville de davare near versailles the fact that Marie Antoinette drank pure water from a spring broke volumes about class and privilege in an age when such delights were reserved for the wealthy. Yeah. She was even allowed Ville de Davare water when she was imprisoned during the French Revolution. Wow. Yeah. Everyone else just, like, has dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. French elites loved brioche in the ni- 18th century. And who doesn't fucking love brioche? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Every- we got brioche in our fast food restaurants now. <laughs> the pretzel bun thing was stupid and died off quickly. And now we've discovered brioche buns. And oh, my God. Yeah. So brioche has a long history. The word was actually first used all the way back in the 15th century. So we're talking 1400s. Mm-hmm. But brioche is a writ as a rich buttery bread began to develop in the 18th century. Of course the French developed it because they are the masters of bread. Yes. Um French aristocrats and imp- my mouth is so full of spit. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I am so hungry. Okay. French aristocrats in particular fell hard for this hunk of bready goodness. Aristocrats could afford more butter and flour, so the, of, of course, so their brioches were far richer and more heavenly than those of the lower class. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to make. Oh my goodness, it's so good. It's so good. Um, all right, here's some more. Uh, they ate rolls stuffed with truffles and cream cheese, which sounds delicious. Um, the croquette... A savory breaded roll filled with meat was hardly unique to France. In fact, versions of it exist in one form or another all around the world. But Francois Massillo, I don't know French, but I think that's right. Um, <laughs> one of the talented, it. yeah, one of the talented chefs working at Versailles developed his own version, and the recipe appears in his cookbook, first published in 1691. Massiello's version was stuffed with with a ragu, but he also made it with truffles and cream cheese. Ooh. Mm. That sounds incredible. So, so good. Um, breaded foie gras had a place in the royal table. Of course it did. It's <laughs> like the douchiest thing you can eat. Um, <laughs> what Marie is it? Marie Antoinette. W- right. Oh, it's, I think it's goose liver. Um, oh. Oh. Marie Antoinette, I know I'm not like tempted, but apparently it's amazing and like super wealthy, like, like kind of like caviar, you know, yeah. like super wealthy people are 
It's like a big snooty thing. Um, Marie Antoinette was never really comfortable with the elaborate public dinners that had become ritualized at Versailles. In fact, she rarely ate in public and preferred to eat in private. At, at the same time, she was known to have some decadent meals from time to time. Among them was breaded foie gras, which was apparently as decadent as one can imagine. <laughs> they loved cakes soaked in wine. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, who doesn't love a cake soaked in wine? That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. That's two of the best things. Yeah. It's two of the best things there are. So one of the most important names associated with French pastries is Nicolas, Nicolas Stroher. Stroher got his start working in the Polish royal court. And when the Princess Marie Lezinska sure, mm-hmm. traveled to France to marry the young Louis XV, Stroher came too. He thus introduced the baba cake. To the Versailles court, if you've watched British Bake Off, you know what a baba is. What is it? Um, it's a yeasted cake. It's a yeasted cake, and usually it's soaked in rum. Oh. It's a little tiny bunt cake, soaked in rum, and then um, dusted with powdered sugar. Ooh. And fruit, covered in fruit, usually as well. Um, there was a guy in the one of the first seasons that accidentally used um, salt instead of sugar what? in his baba. Yep, that was bad. Um <clears throat> But it's yeasted, so it's like different. You do it like a dough, kind of. I don't know. It's really mm-hmm. different than usual cakes. So, um, that sounds incredible. he introduced the baba. Yeah, it sounds amazing, <laughs> especially with all the fruit and stuff on top. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's powdered sugar. It might be like a powdered sugar type icing, that, like a drizzle icing. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I can't remember, but, um, I'm really excited that I know what a baba is. Um, <laughs> So they introduced the baba cake to the Versailles court, and they went mad for it. Baba, which is simply the French word for what is essentially a Polish bunt cake, was a cake that was soaked in fortified wine. Ooh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there are. You should look at this article because there are stills from that Marie Antoinette movie. Okay. With her just like surrounded by cake <laughs> and cookies. I don't know if I want <laughs> to look at that. <laughs> oh my gosh, they look so good. All right, they noshed on delicate pastries filled with jam and cream. The many-layered milfoy, also known today as Neapo- Nea- uh, Napoleons was a specialty of 18th century pastry chefs. Do you know what a milfoy is? No. Milfoy is three layers of pastry and in between layers, um, very thin, crispy puff pastry. And then in between the layers, there's usually cream and jam of some sort or sometimes fruit. Ooh. Um, it, it, it's like one on the bottom and then there's like a layer of like the cream and the fruit and stuff and then there's a middle layer of pastry and another layer of the cream and the fruit and then you put one on top so it looks like a triple layer sandwich kind of okay and then sometimes they like drizzle it in caramel it, i mean you can do the the sky's the limit with that like as far as fillings go and stuff but um yeah it's like a little patisserie thing they're usually very small yeah like single serving size that um, sounds incredible <laughs> Yeah, it's really delicious. Um, so, do, 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 do. okay, after all, the elite were attracted to delicate foods in the 18th century. There was perhaps nothing more delicate than a pastry comprised of several layers. 
The 18th century milfoy dis- differed from a modern one in, from a modern one in a key aspect. Instead of cream holding together each layer, the 18th century pastry chefs used jam. I love fruit. I do too. That makes sense though because jam keeps. Yeah. You know. Mhm. It, it didn't exactly have refrigerators, which is makes it even more insane that they came up with all of these pastries because like the thing with pastry is that you have to keep it as cold as possible before you bake it. Yeah. Like you've got to freeze the butter and grate it in and laminate all of it with uh, layers of butter and, and dough and freeze it in between. Like, I don't know how they did it. It's insane. <laughs> They're insane. They're insane scientists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Almost done. Okay. So they drink pumpkin soup out of pumpkins. Ooh. Mom tried to do this once. I like pumpkin soup. Um, Dinner was not just a social or functional experience. For elite 18th century diners, it could also be an aesthetic experience. As such, how food was presented was part of the pleasure of dining. One cookbook from the 18th century includes a recipe for pumpkin soup that was to be served in a hollowed out pumpkin that had been coated in meringue. Ooh. (laughs) Yum talk about extra oh my goodness oh my god this plate of food right here looks so incredible okay um all right so marie antoinette was mad about meringue and who isn't (laughs) let's be real yeah it tastes like a marshmallow yeah so (laughs) like, like many foods historians can't quite pin down the origins of meringue some even claim that marie antoinette that queen marie lisinska the Polish wife of Queen Louis the Fifteenth, the one that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, brought meringue with her to the French court. But wherever it came from originally, it probably appeared at Versailles. Indeed, rumors also rumor also has it that Marie Antoinette loved to eat meringue. You can do so much with with meringue. Yeah, you can fill it with fruit. You can put it on pie. You can bake it into cookies. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. All right. A special chicken and mushroom dish was named for the queen. Mm. I love chicken oh and God, mushroom. These pies look amazing. Oh my God. I love a savory pie. Mm-hmm. Um, a special chicken and mushroom dish. Okay, so Queen Marie Lazinska does not, I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm saying it, um, does not get much love these days, nor did she get much love in her own lifetime, since her husband, Louis XV, was infamous for keeping mistresses. <laughs> um, <laughs> But she, she, I'm sure she, I'm sure she fucked. Yeah. Um, but she was influential with the development of French cuisine. One popular dish from the court of Versailles was even named in her honor. Bouche, <laughs> Bouche à Lorraine is essentially a savory pastry with chicken and mushrooms, Ooh. which sounds incredible. It does. I really want and chicken and all. mushrooms right now. Is everyone hungry now? Everyone go eat a croissant for me. (laughs) Because I can't. (laughs) I'm probably going to... The things I have so many plans. (laughs) I'm probably going to bust out the butternut squash that we got from HelloFresh tonight. Oh, I love butternut squash. All right, you guys. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for listening. I hope we've made you sufficiently hungry. Um, And remember... You are not a monster. Bye, Bye, guys. guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Crooked. Music is by Gisla Niebach. 
Check out our website, talkcricket.wixsite.com slash podcast for sources and visual aids, as well as resources to get involved. To keep up with our nonsense and stay up to date on all things cricket, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook at TalkCricket. To keep the shots coming, access ex- exclusive bonus content, get a free poster, and a shout-out on air, head on over to our Patreon. All links can be found on our website. You can listen to us basically anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have interesting stories relating to our content, please send them to talkcrooked at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. For business inquiries or sponsorships, please email us at carryandkbusiness at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>